Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the season. A season of darkness. A season of sacrifice. A season of uncertainty. An uncertainty that comes with a long, lonesome winter, and the longest, darkest nights of the year. A nervous unease as we watch the sun's rays fade faster and further with each passing day, hoping it to be reborn just as it was last solstice. Now for centuries, this time has been set aside for ritual, tradition, and celebration. One last feast before winter's frosty grasp pushes us back below. One more prayer, begging to survive the winter. Satisfying some sort of primal urge to gather, gluttonize, and regale. We feast upon fine meats, sip the finest of libations. We spend time with loved ones, and we exchange gifts, swap stories. And my gift to you this evening is a collection of stories that all center around the holidays. Some directly, some indirectly, some uplifting and jolly, and others that remind us of the despair the holiday season can sometimes instill. But we're a resilient bunch and we find new ways to cut through the darkness. And although each culture observes this sacred time of year in their own unique way, it seems we all find ways of bringing light to the darkness. Be it the bonfire, the Yule log, the Yule lantern, or Christmas candles in the windows, 
Christmas lights on the trees out front. I'd even toss Christmas movies into this category. And of course, we cannot forget the menorah. From the state of Louisiana, please offer a big season's greetings to Jackson, who has tonight's very first entry. Hey Derek, this is Jackson calling from Louisiana. Tonight is the sixth night of Hanukkah, and my partner and I realized that we had completely forgotten to light the menorah. So we we dug around, and uh, she found some candles that we had made probably six months ago. So we found this long stick of, of wick and wax, and we cut it into seven candles to fill the menorah. And we said the prayers, and we light the menorah, and we're staring at it, and, and one of the candles starts to slowly lean over. And, like, this makes sense because we made these real haphazardly. And as it leans over, there becomes two flames on this one candle, like nothing too weird yet. And then all of a sudden, the bottom flame falls down onto the table, and the remaining flame lifts off of the candle and floats up, what, three, four inches in the air? And then retaining the perfect shape that it was burning, and then slowly lowers itself back onto the wick. This happened literally moments after my partner and I looked at each other and we were like, it's a Hanukkah miracle. And then this happens as we're both looking, we're just in stunned silence. And we've been on Reddit and all over the internet trying to find out if this has happened to anyone. And the closest we can find is like the candle smoke trick where you blow out a candle and then light it off of its smoke. But man, like this looks nothing like that. Yeah, I don't know if it's some kind of holiday miracle or some science that we can't find on the internet, but this flame stayed perfectly candle flame shaped, lifted off the candle real slowly while we were looking, didn't get any smaller, stayed the same size, and then just slowly lowered itself back onto the first candle. I don't know. Maybe that's nothing, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I've never seen anything like it. Looks like no one else has ever seen anything like it. Yeah, you get a lot of uh, Christian calls on here about seeing angels and stuff, and I think maybe we saw Hashem in our room tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Jackson. Not only for the entry, but for allowing us to see the celebration from another view. Like you'd mentioned, most of the stories on past episodes were of pagan and or Christian tradition. Now it's an interesting phenomenon that you witnessed. I poked around a little hoping to find some simple explanation as to why a flame would suddenly leap off of a candle. And I'm sad to report I didn't find much that satisfies that curiosity. I did, however, find a video explaining the trick that Jackson spoke of lighting the candle smoke which travels down to the wick which I would agree doesn't sound like the cause for this strange occurrence so I guess it's all beyond me but I do thank you Jackson for the phone call and a happy Hanukkah to you as well now folks if you have a story you think is fitting for the show maybe a story involving the holidays that we can use on next year's episode. Call the hotline at one 
608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or simply record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, folks, you cannot have the light without the dark. And as I'd mentioned previously, a couple of these stories are a little bit of that dark. So let that be your warning. Now, I normally don't read written entries here on the program anymore. But I did stumble across this one while collecting these holiday calls and decided to make a little exception. You see, the story touched me. I've had my fair share of loss in recent years, and I can sympathize with Dee, her next submitter, regarding her loss. Now, the day that I'm recording this, December 17th, would have been my brother's birthday. I'd like to say more about this and more about him, but as one could probably imagine... It's difficult to do so, especially with a microphone in your face. So with that, I understand why Dee was unable to call this story in, unable to share with us verbally the story I'm about to read. These are Dee's words. Dear Derek, your show is my most favorite podcast of all those that I listen to and not just the spooky ones. I remember that a few years ago, you did a Christmas holiday special, and just in case you do another, I wanted to tell you my story. In 1994, at the age of 27, my brother John became a dad. He had been seeing a young woman named Stephanie. They were not married and had actually broken up before finding out that Stephanie was pregnant. On March 26, 1994, my beautiful nephew Brandon came into the world. Though the situation was not ideal, John and Stephanie remained good friends. My brother and our entire family just loved Brandon so much. On October 12, 1994, just shortly after turning six months old, my nephew died. My brother John and I worked at the same company, but in separate buildings. This was about 90 minutes away from where Brandon lived, which was in close proximity to our parents' house. My mom called me at work and was crying. She told me he died in his sleep and that I had to tell my brother because she couldn't tell him over the phone. Now luckily my brother's best friend also worked with us so I grabbed him and together we told my brother his sweet baby was gone. That was the worst moment of my life. After I told him, he sunk to the ground and just cried. Now, Christmas was always my favorite time of year, but as you can imagine, that was the toughest one ever. I knew every decoration that went on my family's tree, and about six weeks after Brandon died, I got a call from my dad. He was sort of half whispering in the phone to me. You see, my mom and my brother were affected the most deeply on our side of Brandon's family tree so my dad didn't want to say anything until he knew. Well, dad asked me if I'd ever had an angel decoration made out of a clothespin. I knew immediately that we did not, 
and I told him so. He said that he grabbed some newspaper that we used to wrap our decorations in, as he and Mom half-heartedly put up the Christmas tree. And he felt something. He opened the paper. He said he saw this clothespin angel, and that in its arms was a tiny baby. A tiny brown baby. What I did not mention is that though our side of the family is Irish and Italian, Brandon's mom and her family are African-American. I knew God was giving us a sweet message, which was, Fear not, I have Brandon, and he is in the arms of the angels. It's not a scary story, but I truly believe God sent us that angel, and I believe it's paranormal nonetheless. Keep doing what you do, and thank you. Kind regards, D. Thank you, D. And I'm so sorry. I sure do hope that you're right, though. I sure do hope that was a sign for you and your family. Thank you again for writing in. Now, we lost my brother to suicide six years ago. We missed the signs and he slipped through the cracks. And I say all that so that you don't let the same happen to you or to your loved ones. Communicate, ask for help, offer help, listen. I'm no expert, so my advice stops here. But please take care of yourselves and one another. And I miss you, buddy. Well, this next one comes to us from, I believe, Canada. Marina. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Marina. I have a story about when I was a kid living in a small town in northern Alberta. I think I was about 10 years old at the time. I'm 29 now, uh, so I don't remember all of the details. But we just moved into a new duplex apartment. Um, it wasn't anything fancy. There was no garage. Uh, two floors, a uh, backyard with a chain link fence, and behind the fence was a trailer court. We were sleeping in the bedroom on the second floor. Uh, we just had a mattress on the floor and no curtains. Couldn't sleep because the light was on. So I was just sitting on the floor listening for sounds in the quiet house. And that's when I heard footsteps outside in the backyard. I didn't want to look because then whoever was out there could see me looking at them. Footsteps were loud and slow and heavy crunches in the snow and right at their loudest they stopped, seemingly right at the wall in the backyard. I heard nothing else after that and I got really scared so I grabbed the book and I started reading it in hopes that it would go away. But the next morning I did go out into the backyard to investigate and I saw the footsteps and they walked right up to the house and they stopped and nothing else. <laughs> I did notice my own footsteps going up to theirs and I was worried I would ruin the evidence. But I tried walking backwards in my own footprints to kind of emulate whatever that person might have done. But the snow was too deep and it was pretty obvious that I was walking backwards through my own prints so I kind of gave up and I tried telling my parents and my siblings but nobody really believed me. 
But yeah, that's my scary story. I think at the time, I didn't want to even look at the window because I thought whatever it was might have floated up and was looking at me in the window. But otherwise, it might have just been a prank that someone else pulled. But that was a pretty interesting prank. I think it would have taken a lot of practice to pull that off considering I didn't hear any other noises after the footprints had stopped. So I did ask my mom years later, uh, but she just kind of laughed at me and said she didn't remember. Anyway, love the show. Have a good day. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Marina. Now, I guess this one isn't all that dark, but given the details of the story, it certainly could have gone that way. In an instance like that, where a stranger walks up to your home and simply vanishes. In that case, you almost hope that it's paranormal. Because I sure don't think it was Santa Claus. Thank you again, Marina, for sharing the entry. Okay, I think that's the last of the dark stuff. The rest of it is just plain old-fashioned paranormal. With a holiday twist. So pour yourself an eggnog and grab a handful of cookies. And meet me in a quiet part of the house. Because old Uncle Derek is going to tell some scary stories. Now, 364 days a year, if you saw a red light in the sky that couldn't be explained, you would instantly think military, UFO, or even aliens. But one night a year, that all changes. One special evening, there's another suspect we must then consider. Chris in Texas. Tell us what you saw that night. Hello, my name is Chris Graham from Uvalde, Texas, and I'm coming back for another story. I've been hearing a bunch lately because I'm still catching up on older episodes, but I've been hearing a bunch of people seeing strange lights in the sky and everybody saying, well, it's helicopters, it's this and this, and but most of the time it's drones, people are saying could be. Well, my story starts off in the mid to late 90s. I was around 10 years old, 11, and this was in the evening, probably eight, nine o'clock at night, right around Christmas time. If I remember, probably right around Christmas Eve. Well, it was a clear night, stars out, pretty, all that. Me and my brother were, he's a few years younger than me, so we were watching cartoons and getting ready for Santa and, you know, the usual, just as kids. Well, my mom was doing dishes and we, we live about a half a mile from an airport, so we see planes, helicopters, all that, all the time. It's a small airport, so we know the, the flashing lights from planes, helicopters, all that kind of stuff. Well, one night, me and my brother are in the living room watching cartoons, playing, and my mom's doing dishes, and she's looking south outside the house toward the way of the airport. Well, she's just standing there looking out the window, and she's like, boys, come look at this. So we went out through our washroom to look out the back door, and there's a red light in the sky. And we've seen helicopters, you see they've got the red light, but they you always have a flashing white, something extra. 
That's what we've gotten used to. Well, just a solid red light. And it's just stationary. And the next thing you know, it just kind of zooms one way. Kind of goes up and it just too fast for a plane or a helicopter. But it keeps getting stationary, stops for a few seconds, moves again for a few seconds. And it kept doing this for a couple of minutes. And we were just standing there, dumbfounded, just watching this red light. And my little brother and I were like, I was around that that age, like not believing in Santa, but still enjoying the whole magic of it. And then trying to be that for my younger brother. And so we look at each other, it's like, it's Rudolph. Santa is practicing. And it was just a strange, strange sighting. We never knew what it was. It was just, like I said, just a solid red light, just kind of bouncing across the sky a little bit south of us. And next thing we know, it just kind of poof, gone. And never talked about it since. I'm sure my brother doesn't remember. And I had never brought it up to my mother either. But I remember it as a kid. It was just a something really neat, and you just you never know. But it's just something that's stayed with me. Right, right now I'm 35, and I still remember it. And it's just really neat thing to have seen. Thank you for the podcast, and love listening. Thank you, Chris. Now I can't say for certain if Santa Claus is real, but I can say for certain that there are reports. UFO-style reports that lend evidence to that claim. Especially if you're a subscriber of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Which is where Chris's story sort of takes us. A red light on Christmas zipping around the sky. Could it be that famous ruby-nosed reindeer bouncing from chimney to chimney? It wouldn't be the first time that that's been spotted. Yeah, but like I just saw it just a second ago. I absolutely believe it was Santa Claus. Let me show you where I saw him flying just over the tops of that building over there in downtown. We saw him in that big sleigh and Rudolph was leading the way. I don't know exactly where he's going. Can you see him now? No, no I don't no, see him, he's Matt. In, he's, he's gone. I don't know where, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where he went after that. He was so fast. Now that clip out of KHOU, CBS News 11 out of Houston. And if it were Santa and Rudolph and the gang, we all know why they're up there. Delivering presents, gifts and toys for the good girls and boys. The most enjoyable part of Christmas to all children, and frankly, most adults. Some of my most memorable childhood moments were of opening gifts under the tree on Christmas morning. But what of those toys that Santa shot down the chimney? Or just a little off. Broken. Haunted. Possessed. Or simply sinister. With that in mind, please welcome Corey from Big Sky Country. Hey Derek, this is Corey from Montana. I've already called in and told you all my cool stories that happened, but I was cleaning my house and I ran across an item that makes me a little leery. And I didn't know if haunted toys were your cup of tea, but I thought I'd call in and give you the opportunity. So I bought this little crew cab army toy truck. It's maybe five inches long, three inches tall. 
made in China. It's got a creepy face on the front of it with the bumper that acts like a lip and it, it moves up and down like the thing talks. It's got two buttons on the side of it that makes lights and sounds. I believe I got this vehicle at a garage sale when I was in sixth grade and I am 31 years old now. It's been with me in two households. I've never ever changed the batteries. It likes to go off on its own. And I have found it in literally, and I mean honestly, every room in my house. I don't move it. I don't even keep track of the thing. I don't even know why I still own it. I should throw it in the trash and see if it comes back to me. But I was cleaning my house just now, and I found it on top of my gun cabinet. Now you explain to me why I would ever put that toy on top of my gun cabinet. I have found this toy in both closets of my house, my kids' bedroom, my kitchen. Well, I guess I haven't found it in either bathroom, but I just came across it again, and I hit the buttons, and it made lights and sounds still, and it creeps me out. I don't know. I was thinking about getting rid of it. I will send you an email with a video of the vehicle and a couple of photos. So... Do with that story as you will, sir. Thank you, Corey. Now, Corey emailed me a while ago asking if I wanted the truck. And like I do with most emails pertaining to the show, I responded super late. And I've yet to hear back. But when he does, we just might be the proud new owners of an allegedly haunted toy truck. Now, I did attention a couple of photos that Corey sent over. And it does look oddly suspicious somehow. Something's unusual. But just as long as it doesn't talk. Because that's taking it too far, I think. And I bet Jay over in Minnesota would agree. Hello, my name is Jay. Uh, I am in Minnesota, but this story took place in Michigan. When I was growing up, I always had weird dreams, frequently about very small aliens and things like that coming at me in my bed. And, you know, everyone thought that was just having dreams when you were a kid. But one night I had, while I was awake, a toy speak to me. Now, it was an electronic toy, so it did have voice recordings, but this was not in that voice. It was in a very, very low voice, very threatening voice. It was speaking in a language that, as far as I've been able to look up, was not of this earth. It spoke very deeply and very scarily and right at me, and the lights were going on and off on the toy as well. And it was, again, ironically, uh, Emperor Zerg from the Toy Story series, but and I just looked at it terrified. And it was before I had went to bed and everything, and I stayed up all that night just staring at it, terrified. Especially since we had taken the batteries out the night before. It had no power source, and yet did that. So yeah, thought I'd share. Now that sounds like the start to an 80s holiday horror film. Thank you, Jay, for ringing in. Now, folks, I have one more to drop in here before we hit our ad break. 
another spooky toy story. This time sent in anonymously. From parts unknown. Hi, Derek. This is going to be short and sweet, but I'm listening to the Christmas episode right now that you just put out today. And oh my God, did it take me back. So I'm calling just after listening to the first story about the Furby turning on. I feel like maybe lots of people have these stories, but I also had a Furby (laughs) turn on without it being prompted. I had a Furby back probably like 2010. Um, they kind of like resurfaced and I thought it was cute and cool whatever my parents were like it's so creepy I thought it was cool one day I was sitting just kind of across my house on the same floor though and the Furby was in my bedroom and nothing was going on in my bedroom I think maybe my door was open but whatever and it just started like in the dark it started and I remember I'm pretty sure its eyes would light up and I could hear it talking and I was like, what is that? Why is my Furby talking? And of course I walked into my bedroom and there it was alive, unprompted. That was really scary. And I remember taking the batteries out and hiding it away. And I even wanna say that it, without the batteries, it turned on. I don't know how true that is in my little kid brain, but yeah. I also had a Furby come alive on me, so I thought that was really funny. But yeah, I hope you have a good day. Thank you, caller. Now, I recently heard a cautionary tale about Furbies. And here's a version of that warning, courtesy of TikToks, Just the Nobodies. So there's a legend that you should never pick up an abandoned Furby because one day two kids found a Furby in the woods outside their grandparents' house and it was super dirty and super beat up. So they decided to take it home and clean it. But after cleaning it, they noticed it had red eyes, which was super unusual. So they decided to put batteries in it. And once they put batteries in it, it started speaking like how a Furby does. Like you don't really know what it's saying. Right, it always used to make some kind of weird sound. Yeah, but right after this, it then started to speak English and it was only repeating the phrase, put me back. What? Yeah, then the grandma came into the room and asked them where they got the Furby. And when she found out it was from the woods, she took it and ran it back out into the woods. And she told the kids that if you ever see a Furby in a random spot, you should never pick it up. And what is the lesson here? Watch what you ask Santa for. And maybe take the batteries out of your Furbies at night. Thanks again, caller, for sharing. It's Christmas Eve at last in Summerfield, and it couldn't be a prettier one. There's a beautiful, clean blanket of snow covering the street. Now, who's making all these toys, anyway? Legend says a legion of North Pole-dwelling elves toil away all year to supply St. Nick with all the goodies needed for his Christmas deliveries. Elves, they say. Some of Santa's elves are getting into trouble and even getting arrested this holiday season across Central Texas. Right now, authorities remain on high alert and have launched what's called Operation Bad Elf. News 10's Alex Fulton is in studio. Alex, what are officials telling you? 
Well, Gordon, there seems to be an uptick of elves making mischiefs all around Central Texas right now, especially around the holiday season. Coriel County Constable Guy Beveridge even enlisted the help of a canine unit. He says he spotted elves drinking too much maple syrup, eating too much candy, and getting into fights with other elves. He says he's especially seen lots of elves getting into trouble around the downtown area. Uh, that is very unprofessional. Now that clip from KWTX CBS News 10 out of Waco. And of course, they're talking about those elves that sit on the shelves of countless homes around the world. And not necessarily this type of elf. Courtesy of Nick in Germany. Hey Derek, this is Nick. Currently live in Germany from Wisconsin. But this story takes place in Virginia Beach, Virginia, when I was about seven years old. When I was a kid, uh, living in some apartments in Virginia Beach, myself and my little brother shared a bunk bed. And it was normal, typical childhood, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing weird. But we had a bunk bed on one side of the room and on the other side of the room, our eldest brother, he had his own bed. And in between the two beds was a plastic toy box. So this is probably back in 1995. So I think it's middle of the summer when this happened. But it might sound like Christmas when we get to the end of the story. But in the middle of the night, I feel my bunk bed shaking because I'm on the top bunk. And I wake up because the bed is shaking. And I look down at my little brother. And he's two years younger than me, so he's five. And he's looking up at me and he's giving me, you know, this signal, you know, with his pointer finger over his lips. And he looks terrified. And, and I'm kind of wondering, like, what is going on? He then takes his pointer finger that he just shushed me with and points to the toy box. And I look over at the toy box and I understand like I'm, I'm younger, I'm little, but we see a, I don't know how else to describe it, and I know this sounds silly, but what looks to be a Christmas elf standing on our toy box. There's no other way to put it. I mean, it looked like an elf from the North Pole. In the middle of the summer, on our toy box, in an apartment in Virginia Beach, Virginia. However, this elf wasn't, you know, happy and wasn't merry. He had red glowing eyes. And I say he, I don't know if it was a he or anything else, but that's how I felt looking at it. And this is what sounds even more ridiculous, is that this elf, he had a Nerf gun. And I know how that sounds. But he had a Nerf gun. And he was pointing it at us. And I know it's a Nerf gun, but it felt like it was, you know, a nine millimeter or something like that. It was that intimidating. And this elf looked at us and it was pointing the gun, the Nerf gun, 
directly at us and it recognized that we saw it but for some reason we felt like if we were quiet and if we didn't see anything then everything would be okay and right above the toy box and the elf was sitting on top of the toy box there was a window and we always kept the window open summertime for Virginia Beach really really hot really humid economy apartment so it was really uncomfortable my mom didn't pay to keep you know air conditioning on and after the elf held us at gunpoint or nerf gunpoint for a couple minutes it dropped the nerf gun which was a toy from our toy box and jumped out of the window so my brother had brought this up during christmas a couple years ago and my brother and i we haven't remained very close unfortunately i love him to death obviously but myself and my older brother joined the military and he kind of went off and did his own thing so we haven't remained super close but a couple years ago we all got together for christmas and it's the first time our whole family my two brothers and my sister and my mother had gathered for christmas in a long long time and we were, you know, talking about all different kinds of stories from when we were kids. And my little brother's name's Alex. He brought this up. And I was like, wait, like, you remember that? Like, that's an actual, that, you remember that is actually happening. And he's like, Nick, I am telling you, for a fact, this happened. I remember this. And I was like, Alex, you know, you were only five, I'm seven, like, we were little kids. And he goes, no, this happened. It is seared into my memory. We know it happened. So I guess I'm kind of looking for answers for me and my little brother. So, you know, if anyone has anything to say or Derek, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Please let me know. I love everything. Been a Patreon supporter for a couple of years now. Look forward to, to hearing what people think. All right, everyone. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you for the long-distance call, Nick. I have so many questions. Like, where did this thing come from? Where did it go? What the hell was it? And probably most importantly, what did it think it was doing with that Nerf gun? And it's not hard to dismiss one person's childhood memory. Could have been a dream imagination or something seen on television especially as something as outlandish as an elf on a toy box but to know that both brothers share the exact same memory that certainly lends some credibility to these claims but if Nick and his brother's experience isn't enough to convince you that these elvish creatures exist perhaps the submission by John in Kansas Without move the needle. Hi, this is John G. from Wichita. I moved out to a house in the country, Harper County, about 65 miles southwest of Wichita, and set up a wood shop out there, just working on projects and living out there in the country of Bluff City, tiny town of 50 people, and uh, just middle of nowhere. It doesn't even exist on many maps. So it was, it was kind of nice. And uh, one of my friends, who's an older fella in his uh, 70s, he's a uh, kind of lifelong artist, total hippie, open-minded sort of fella. He said, hey, uh, you moving out to Hartford County, huh? Well, well, watch out for elves. All right. Told me a story.
story that he had a childhood friend that is now in his 80s that is not a hippie type, more of a conservative Republican, no-nonsense type. But he coaxed this story out of him twice, several years apart, where when he was this older guy, when he was in the 50s growing up, something like that, out visiting grandma and grandpa in the country in Harper County in a little farmhouse. And when he was sleeping upstairs in this brother who was nine or ten or something, he was seven, I guess, his brother's nine or ten. And his brother woke him up and pointed out the window, and out the window was a carriage with a team of knee-high horses and these elves, I guess, which uh, the kids were actually not happy about. They're actually afraid of because they're peering in the window or peering up at them and you know, they were aware of the kids. The kids were uncomfortable. It was not happy elf time. It was like spooky elves. But these elves were described as wearing clothes from like 100 years before, like mid-1800s. But this is just child's description of some stuff. But either way, they were wearing, uh, wearing strange non-period clothes. They had a team of horses. They were uh, braiding the horse's hair. So I definitely, definitely do not consider myself any sort of an elf spotter, elf fanatic. This is just a story that I couldn't unhear, and it's just rattling around in the back of my mind. And uh, one morning it had snowed out there in the country, and I loved it. You know, there was critters everywhere. You could go run around and see what all had been moving. Got the rabbits, check out the deer, the coyotes, and all that. And I had two unexplainable sets of tracks. One set of tracks was tiny little four inch uh, boot print that was trudging through the snow, making like a path through the backyard, which would have been probably pretty tall for something that small, six inches of snow or something. So that was kind of strange and I didn't know what to think of it. But the real strange one was around the back side of the place, there was a, another set of barefoot prints that were these small three and a half, four inch feet and they walked from my backyard, and I owned the property behind it as well. So walked onto that acre, which was a little bit more overgrown and wild, and more animals over there. Footprints morphed from two feet rounded toes to four feet dog paws with claw prints. The interesting part about this one is I've got a great video of this. I can clearly show these prints on a video for anybody that into that sort of stuff not a big deal i thought it was pretty strange took a video of it and got pretty close to show that you can see where the rounded toes turn into claw marks like after it's taken steps on two feet and then it goes to four so all this came crashing back the whole thought of oh watch out for elves out there in the country holy smokes there might be something to it so i kind of did a little bit of not a deep dive just a little skim and it was just interesting to see that these are timeless sort of stories that this has happened over periods of time, different places, into where the lore is uh, kind of matched up with the evidence that I had witnessed. And it seemed like a small, elfy, tiny little shape-shifting whatnot that turned into a coyote and ran off into the woods. So the tracks went off into the woods into a park the park has some interesting history as well behind it. I would go over there and I'd pick up trash and just try to be like, 
I don't know, respectful to the park spirit or whatever you want to say. There's definitely some strange energy coming from the park, which is called Glover Park. Glover Park used to be on a list in the 1800s of 100 most beautiful places in America. The guy had done it all by hand. He'd landscaped his 20 acres. He had the guy that designed Central Park in New York come out there and make a smaller version. And for a while, that city had the largest park per size of the city squared in the whole country. So it was this magical place that beforehand, the uh, native population down there, it was one of the rare instances in the area, the Cherokee, which was peaceful and they weren't at odds. Apparently Glover was friendly with the people and they had a relationship and that was apparently a part of the agreement when the whole city was formed. They said, we will leave peacefully, but this area, which turned into Glover Park, is a sacred place that must remain public for all times. So I don't really know why they thought it was sacred or special, but that is where the tracks ran to. They ran back into Glover Park, and uh, it's got some interesting mojo back there. So anyway, just something that happened, and uh, I'd be happy to get the video evidence in for people to take a look at because I'm sure uh, people would be curious about all that. All right, have a good day. Thank you, John. Now, it's certainly not lost on me. The fact that, like the elf for goblin calls we featured last week, this one too takes place in the state of Kansas. Trust me, that connection has my imagination working overtime. So I had Delaney do a little bit more digging on these little fellas, and she uncovered something quite intriguing. The Plains tribes called them Taihiaian, child-sized dwarves with incredible strength that were aggressive, bloodthirsty cannibals that often attacked settlements in large numbers. These small creatures dwell in the vast area of the Great Plains, between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains, and they are known in the legends of the Cheyenne Crow, Arapaho, Omaha, Osage, Kanza, Shoshone, Comanche, and Ponca people. And a few of those are historically native to the lands that later became the state of Kansas. So no, none of this is lost on me. There certainly seems to be something unusual tromping around the plains of Kansas. And I promise we'll keep our eyes on that story. Now I've linked to an interesting article on these Tahiyan over in the show notes. Maybe there are a few of these things left living on the crust of our society. Just out of our view. Thank you again, John, for calling in. Well, folks, finally this evening, the man himself. The red suit, the sleigh, the bag full of toys. 
Santa Claus, Kris Kringle, jolly old Saint Nick, whatever you would like to call him, I have it on good authority that he is out there. And Laurel from Montana even saw him. Welcome to the show, Laurel. Hi, my name is Laurel. I'm from Montana. I wanted to call in. I heard some stories of people seeing the Easter Bunny. So I wanted to call and tell about how I think I saw Santa Claus. I was young. We were living in Kalispell at the time. It was around Christmas time. I got up, thought I heard something upstairs. So went upstairs and looked over the balcony edge, looking into the living room and saw a man leaned over by the Christmas tree, putting presents away. But I didn't see him. I just saw his backside and he was wearing black boots and it wasn't Christmas Eve. I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you definitely know when Christmas is. So it really surprised me, really shocked me too wasn't expecting that so I ran down back downstairs and went back to bed think woke up the next morning and asked my mom if dad had been wearing a Santa suit and walking around the house and she looked at me really confused and had no idea what I was talking about so really weird experience definitely strange love your podcast I listen to it every day at work appreciate everything you do all right thanks bye Thanks, Laura. Now, I know we're not supposed to be able to see him. That's part of his magic. But as we learned from Laura's story, it does happen from time to time. And not all these encounters with Father Christmas are pleasant. Some can be downright terrifying. Like this encounter, pulled from the paranormal subreddit, submitted by user 187ninja. Sorry in advance. This is not exactly a jolly story. When I was seven, we were visiting my grandparents for Christmas with all of my dad's siblings and their kids as my grandmother was dying of breast cancer. She would pass sometime between when I went to bed on Christmas Eve in the middle of the night. I was sleeping in the basement of their old farmhouse. There was a wood stove for heating the house down there. Now as I remember it, I woke up to the sound of the fire suddenly crackling a lot, like a few burned cedar which I'm pretty sure it was. I got all excited and thought it was Santa. I could feel a presence, and to my seven-year-old eyes, I swear, there was some invisible person walking up the carpeted stairs. As I could see the footsteps pressing the carpet down as whatever it was ascended the steps. Around this time, I thought I heard someone whisper my name off in the direction that my little sister was sleeping. It was soft and raspy. Ninja. Ninja. Hey. Hey. Along with this, I could make out the silhouette of what I thought to be one of Santa's elves, sitting on a stool, next to where my sister slept. It scared me, and I stayed as quiet and still as I could. Eventually, I felt the presence of, quote-unquote, Santa coming back down the stairs. The fire started crackling a bunch again, and then died down as the presence left. I stayed awake in bed until later, when my father and uncles returned from the hospital with the bad news. They made us kids open our presents before they told us the next morning, though. 
Anyway, in retrospect, I want to chalk it all up to an overactive imagination. It was actually impossible for me to see anything other than the profile of the stairs as I was sleeping parallel to them. And my sister was probably just breathing heavily. But that's how I remember it. And I might add that perhaps it was the grandmother making one last visit. Now we have had other listeners that have claimed to see the jolly old fat man. For example, take this entry from an anonymous source in North Carolina. Hi, Derek. I'm going to stay anonymous for this one. I'm actually in North Carolina, but this actually happened to me in Iowa. It was before 2000. I know that it was probably like 97 or 98. I was about, I have to say, between six and eight, somewhere around there. And we were living in a house. And before I I start, the reason I'm calling is because I listened to season eight. I forget what episode, but I think it was Michelle. She was the last call. And it it had to do with uh, her hearing Santa Claus or or like Jingle Bells or or, or something. And it struck a memory of something that I'm not going to say it's paranormal or anything like that. But it's just to me, I found it to be weird. You know what I mean? So I'm living in this house. Uh, Me and my brother are living in this house. We're in this room. And next to my bed, which our beds were separated, one was on one side of the room, the other one was on the other side of the room. Well, where my bed is at, it butts against a wall, and on the other side of that wall is the living room. Well, I remember this room had this little, it was like a wooden door, like, I don't know, it looked like it was made or something, but the wooden door was connected to the rest of the wall, which I can't recall if the whole wall was wood or not. I I don't remember that. But this door was like nailed into this wall. It was weird. I I, like almost like, I don't remember if it had like a latch or, or, or what, but it was there. And like the top of that little door, which the door was maybe like a foot higher than my bed or something like that. It, it wasn't, it wasn't much. I could lay up and, and see it. On this little door, it had a, uh, like, how do I say it? Like, around the doorway, like, where, not where the hinges are at, but just, like, around it. I could actually see through it. Like, there's, like, a little gap, like a centimeter or whatever. If I put my eye to it, I could see into the living room. If I went back, I couldn't see it and into it, right? So, this particular day was right before Christmas, and I remember I went to bed... I do not remember going to bed, like going to sleep. I, I was in bed ready for, you know, the next day. I was obviously excited and everything. And after a little while, I was, you know, anticipating getting up. And for some reason, I looked through the, the little peephole and I see Santa Claus. He's there. Like, I, I don't know. It was weird. Like, I see Santa Claus. I don't see his face. I see his back is turned to me and he's digging through a bag. Next thing I know, my dad is opening the door and telling me to get up. Like, you know, you're, are you still asleep? My brother gets up out of bed and I'm like, what? Like, thought it was weird. I get up, I go out into the living room. Like, wait a second. Like, I don't remember sleeping. I know that. Go out in the living room. The guy's not there. There's presents everywhere. 
and I don't remember going to bed or anything. So I just thought it was an interesting story. Uh, I did ask my parents, like, hey, as, as I was older, I did ask my parents, hey, did you guys ever, like, have somebody come over for us or, in, or anything like that? And they told me that they never did such things. I just always thought it was very strange. So, Derek, thank you for taking my call. And listeners, thank you for listening. Bye. A secret door. A gap to peep through. And a jolly big man in a red suit on the other side. Sounds to me like a bit of that Christmas magic at work. But our caller is lucky, I suppose that he saw Santa and not the other way around. After all, the song does warn us. He sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. And as Anna can attest, having him catch you awake is not nearly as pleasant as one would assume. Here is her brief tale, via the shrouded hand on YouTube. Anna writes, I was five years old and I was in my room when I heard a shuffling in the living room. I got up and peered around the doorway where I saw a man in a Santa suit standing in front of the Christmas tree. He must have felt my presence because he turned around and looked at me. He didn't look jolly or kind and happy like you would expect Santa Claus to look. He looked kind of eerie like he was staring into my soul. Automatically I ran into my parents' room and hid under the covers. I don't know why I was so scared at the time, but I wrote it off as a dream for a while before I forgot about it completely. Years later I remembered it. I thought it could have been a burglar, but when I asked my parents, nothing was ever missing from the apartment. The only explanation I have now is that it was some kind of apparition. Now Shrouded Hand has a whole video collection full of these less than desirable encounters with St. Nick, and I've linked to it over in the show notes, along with a list of more positive encounters with the big guy, as well as most everything else discussed here this evening. Just visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and hit the show notes tab, or check the description of this episode's post. So yeah. It might be the time of year that we come together, but it's also the time that tradition seems to come alive, prompting us to heed the warnings. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you are awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. And that's going to do it for this special episode. A big thanks to all of tonight's contributors. And a huge thanks to all of you for joining us here this evening. It was a pleasure to spend a little time with you all this holiday. Again, I'll be back next week with the annual year-end special. The best of calls of 2023. Once again, I'd like to wish you all a happy holidays. Regardless of how you celebrate... It's important for us to take this time of year to reflect on where we've been and contemplate on where we're going. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, 
Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support has been provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Powers. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you're in the gift-giving mood, give us a like and follow on social media, YouTube. And while you're at it, leave us a rate and a review. We like that. Finally, tonight's score was provided by Co.ag Music, Armchair Ambiance, Envato Elements, Mew, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. And I'll leave you with this sentiment that I found on this creepy Victorian Christmas card. May all your jollity lighten your holiday hours. Have a good night. Now, tonight's secret entry is sort of like the rebuttals we cover on the after show. Not a story per se, but additional information sent in by a listener like you. And tonight's entry comes to us from a place that knows how to do Christmas. New York City. Please, welcome Lexi to the program. Hey, Derek. Love the show. My name is Lexi. I live in New York City. I actually am calling in because I just listened to the Christmas episode a couple of days late and the Krampus segment, the section that you played from West 2 News, I I noticed that you mentioned that was in St. Cloud, Minnesota, but actually uh, I have a bit of a correction. It was in St. Cloud, Florida. And the only reason I know this is because I am from St. Cloud, Florida. I grew up in St. Cloud, Florida. And you know what? I just had to laugh when I heard that section because it is so on brand for St. Clouders to be so upset about the Krampus thing. I just thought that was so funny. So just a funny little tidbit. It's really a a fun little place, little cow town. I'm surprised that we haven't had a story come out of there yet. But maybe if I remember any of them or, you know, if anything comes along in the future, we'll get to hear one. But I just wanted to call in and make that quick correction and say that I absolutely love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. I listen to a lot while I'm in tissue culture. I work in cancer research now, so uh, your podcast helps me get through the day. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Hopefully I'll call in soon. Bye. Thank you, Lexi. And thank you for the correction. Oddly enough, it's sometimes difficult to find the full credits of a news station, especially the smaller ones. So I'm sorry about that. And I might as well apologize to the news station as well. But I love any excuse to cover our friend Krampus. Thank you again, Lexi, for sharing the info.
Now, folks, this is where the show ends. But a few of us are going to sneak out back and keep the stories rolling. And if you'd like to join us, sign up for the $5 level on our Patreon page to get instant access. And don't forget that only $1 will get you the main feed programming absolutely ad-free. For more information, click the Patreon tab on our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and take advantage of that free seven-day trial as my re-gift to you. After all, it's over there that you can hear stories like Johnny's. Hey, Terry. This is Johnny. The date is June 17th, and the time is 3.50 a.m. So... For the past 26 years, I've had sleep paralysis. I'm 32 years old now, and I can still remember the very first time I had it. To be honest, the only reason I'm calling is because I just had it about 20 minutes ago. My earliest. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.